turn to Psalm 31 and let's ask the Lord to bless our study. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, as we go to your word and we open up your word, we, we know that you desire to speak to us, Father God. We know that you desire to give us the truth that we need for our lives. And Father, I do believe that tonight your word is going to call us closer to you. Help us to open our hearts with understanding and receive your word that we might come closer to you, Father God, in all aspects of our life, that we would surrender more of ourselves, all of ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The message tonight is titled, Into Thy Hand. And one of the strongest ailments, one of the strongest feelings that everybody deals with today and that keeps affecting us as more and more goes on. The more we get microwaves and things like that, the more we get cell phones and planners and all these things that make life easier, the more we jam pack into our life, the more things upset our life, little um, hindrances, little uh, interruptions in our schedule. We end up with pressure and stress and anxiety. That's a symptom of living in a world not only that is overly busy, but in a world that we have no control in and is wrought with difficulty. We have no control in it, but here's where the stress and anxiety comes from. We want to have control. Our desire is for control. And the more we try to be in control and the more we try to hold on to it, the higher the pressure we feel, the more our stress is there, and the more our anxiety rises. We have classes, books, articles, websites, coaching. There's all sorts of meditations you can join that offer to help reduce stress, anxiety, and pressure, and to put you in control. But here's the problem with that. We aren't in control. We aren't in control. And the problem is that we keep thinking that it's possible to be in control. The problem isn't that we aren't in control. The problem is that we think it's possible and so we strive for it. And one problem is that while many seek help from all sorts of sources... A lot of us, even those of us within the church, we will go to the bookstore and pick up a quick self-help book. We will go to a news article. We will go Google how to reduce stress, how to reduce anxiety. We will go everywhere else and be reluctant to seek the Lord first, or even to seek the Lord primarily And there's stigma that's attached with that. Those of us that struggle with anxiety and stress-induced anxiety and things of those natures and whatnot, we're tired of people in the church telling us, well, all you got to do is pray to God and it goes away. That's not true. That's the second problem. 
The second problem, the first problem is that many are not going to God first and foremost. And the second problem is that there's a great majority that are under the false assumption that it's a one-time solution. Sometimes God allows us to struggle with things. God wants us to continue coming back to him. So Psalm 31, this is a Psalm from David again, and it comes from a great place of need And it's the prayer of one who is feeling despised, defamed, and full of despair. And maybe, just maybe at Psalm 31, we're beginning to see that much of David's life is spent in this condition. And a great many rich and healing, bandaging psalms were written and born out of the times of great pain and despair through David's pressures, through David's stresses, born out of David's anxieties. This psalm is an exhortation from David for those who have been afflicted to love the Lord and be strong and courageous for the Lord is their protection. This truth David shares, it was learned by committing his life into the hands of the Lord. As we go through this psalm, what we're going to see is in this psalm, it alternates back and forth. It facilitates between pain and suffering, rescue and restoration. And C.S. Lewis points out the great reminder that we should take to heart and learn from. The psalms are poems and poems are intended to be sung. They're not doctrinal treaties. They're not even sermons. Sometimes we go to a psalm and we go, oh, that's the solution to my problem. And then we follow it exactly and we're like, well, what, what's good? The, the psalms are songs for our heart to help guide our heart to the Lord. The remedy for us tonight is on trusting control, not to ourselves, but to our personal and sovereign Lord. And we do this by entrusting and giving ourselves into his hand, no matter how difficult the circumstances. Because we aren't in control. We never will be in control. But we can learn to trust the one who is, the one who is sovereign. Starting in verse one, David says, Lord, I seek refuge in you. Let me never be disgraced. Save me by your righteousness. Listen closely to me. Rescue me quickly. Be a rock of refuge for me, a mountain fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. You lead and guide me for your name's sake. You will free me from the net that is secretly set for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand, I entrust my spirit. You have redeemed me, Lord, God of truth. I hate those who are devoted to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your faithful love because you have seen my affliction. You know the troubles of my soul and have not handed me over to the enemy. You've set my feet in a spacious place. Be gracious to me, Lord, because I am in distress My eyes are worn out from frustration, my whole being as well. Indeed, my life is consumed with grief and my years with groaning. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I am ridiculed by all my adversaries and even by my neighbors. 
I'm dreaded by my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street run from me. I am forgotten, gone from memory like a dead person, like broken pottery. I've heard the gossip of many, terrors on every side. When they conspired against me, they plotted to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. The course of my life is in your power. Rescue me from the power of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me by your faithful love. Lord, do not let me be disgraced when I call on you. Let the wicked be disgraced. Let them be quiet in Sheol. Let lying lips that arrogantly speak against the righteous and proud contempt be silenced. How great is your goodness, which you've stored up for those who fear you. In the presence of everyone, you've acted for those who take refuge in you. You hide them in the protection of your presence. You conceal them in a shelter from human schemes, from quarrelsome tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he's wondrously shown his faithful love to me in a city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight. But you heard the sound of my pleading when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all his faithful ones. The Lord protects the loyal, but fully repays the arrogant. Be strong and let your heart be courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. We are going to look at this psalm tonight. And as we go through this psalm and we talk about the different parts of it, the goal, the, the end result should be that we could, like David say, into thy hands, I entrust my spirit. I entrust my soul. I entrust my life. We need to come to that point because as I said before, we're not in control. And in this life, you're going to find there are evil plots. There's evil plots. Evil is plotted. David says, Lord, I seek refuge in you. Never let me be disgraced. Save me by your righteousness. Listen closely to me. Rescue me quickly. Be a rock of refuge for me, a mountain fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. You lead and guide me for your name's sake. You will free me from the net that is securely set for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I entrust my spirit. You have redeemed me, God of truth. I hate those who are devoted to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your faithful love because you have seen my affliction. You know the troubles of my soul and you have not handed me over to the enemy. You set my feet in a spacious place. And then when we jump down to verse 13, this is what David says. He says, I've heard the gossip of many. Terror is on every side. When they conspired against me, they plotted to take my life. So David comes before the Lord, and, and we can tell from the context of the psalm, David's in trouble. He's in despair again. He's calling on the Lord for help. Side note, there's nothing wrong with calling on the Lord because you need help. Sometimes we get the idea that, oh man, here I am bugging the Lord again. It's because I'm in trouble again. And the Lord's going to go, well, how'd you get in trouble again? And that's not what's happening at all. The Lord knows that there's evil in this world, that there's an enemy in this world that we face. We can go to him and we can call upon him as many times as we need to. 
David talks about, he says that there is a net set in a secret that lies waiting to trap him. Have you ever felt like that in your life? Like as you're just going along, minding your own business, and all of a sudden, boom, something, and you feel like, how did I get snared up in this little trap? And it feels like it was set there all along. Or maybe there's something that entices us and ensnares us because it seems like somebody knew exactly what would tempt us, and we fell right into that pit of temptation. That's what David says in verse 4. You're going to free me from the net that is set secretly for me. If we knew about the net, we could avoid it, right? But we're not in control. David knows that he's not in control. He says, you will rescue me, Lord. Why? Because the Lord sees all things. The Lord knows the beginning from the end. The Lord knows where we're headed and what path we're on. That's why he reaches out to the Lord. He... We, we see that David describes his life. He says, I will rejoice in verse seven and be glad in your faithful love because you've seen my affliction. Affliction is present. Affliction is visible. Sometimes we do our best when we get around other people and we'll hide the affliction in our life. Hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. Everything's going well. But really, we're, we're in this state of affliction. We just don't want to share it because sometimes people don't know what to do with our troubles that we're in, especially when they know that we're Christian. And we say, man, I'm in a really hard spot. Hey, you're a Christian. You should be happy all the time. Not exactly. And if you feel that way, I want you to, to feel a little bit of release tonight. You don't have to walk around super happy all the time. We're joyful, but sometimes it doesn't always look like joy but our joy can't be taken from us. David even describes, he says, my very soul is troubled. That's some hard times. Have you, ever, have you ever faced that difficulty that just tears at your soul? Like you, you, you just have that like gut feeling inside. You're like, what am I going to do? Like this is just nothing I've ever planned for, nothing I ever thought about, nothing. How could this happen? How could I be in this position? But then David in verse eight, he speaks about an enemy. He says, you've seen my affliction. You know the troubles of my soul, but you have not handed me over to the enemy. David was very smart. He knew that there was an enemy. Today, many deny that there's an enemy. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus, hopefully we're in a church like this one that teaches the truth, that teaches that the, the trouble with the world isn't that man makes war and does things of war and that there is no peace. The trouble with the world is that the world is broken because long ago man sinned in the Garden of Eden and sin has forever corrupted the world until Christ comes again to set everything right. There is an enemy out there. And David talks about the enemy. He says that there's those who speak gossip and they put terror all around him. It, it's a scary thing when there's enemies, right? I worked in the corporate world before. You don't have to do anything to get an enemy in the corporate world. You're just competition already. And then there's those who speak gossip. They put terror all around him. They're conspiring against him. David as king had enemies. 
because, you know, you take out the king and all of a sudden you can get the throne. Well, actually, it goes to his kids. I don't know how they tried to steal the throne so many times, but they did. So they're plotting against his very life. And, and we see it here. And it's not something new, but it is something that we need to take in and we need to remember. And sometimes, you know, the Lord is great about reminding us of things that we already know. But I'm going to say it anyway. David, a man after God's own heart, was not free from difficulty. David, as king over Israel, God's promised nation, promised land, was not free from difficulty. He was not free from enemies seeking to harm him. And the truth for us is that we aren't either. Just because we follow the Lord does not mean we will not experience difficulty. It doesn't even mean that we won't have those plotting evil against us. It's promised. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, because I, Jesus, have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. If you are a Christian with your faith and trust placed in Christ Jesus, born again, your default position in the world is it hates you. And it doesn't get better from there. Peter the Apostle. This is after he's filled with the Holy Spirit. We remember Peter the Disciple. Peter the Disciple constantly struggled and fell and fell into temptation and, and uh, grandizing and, and pride. But here he reminds all the rest of us in his epistle that he wrote to the Christian church. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary is the devil. And he's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. You want to know why you have troubles in this world and why things just seem to like pop up? Because you have an enemy plotting against you because the default position for you as a Christian is the world hates you. And you have an adversary, the devil. Yes, he's real. When evil is out to plot in secret, we don't know the traps set. We don't know the plans put into motion. What do we do? David calls out for the Lord and his desire is never to be disgraced or for his enemies to gloat over him. David seeks refuge in the Lord because he knows the Lord's got it. And when he calls upon the Lord, he doesn't say, Lord, save me because I followed you all these years. He doesn't say, Lord, save me because you promised me to be king. And you remember all those years you made me wait? You owe me. No, David says, save me by your righteousness. He says, Lord, I seek refuge in you. Verse one, let me never be disgraced. Save me by your righteousness. He's not saying, Lord, I'm so righteous, I deserve this. He says, Lord, by your righteousness, save me. Perhaps like us, David was being afflicted by his enemies or by an enemy that I like to call the earworm. 
you know, it's that earworm that gets inside you, right in your ear, and it speaks condemnation into your ear. That earworm that says, you gave your life to Christ, you're a joke. What about your past? What about what you did before? What about who you were before? That earworm that screams in your ear that you're nothing but a hypocrite. Maybe David was hearing that. You call yourself a godly king? What did you do? Look at Uriah. Look at Bathsheba. Look at what happened there. What about that census you did, David? You claim to follow God? What about your family, David? Your kids are running amok, starting rebellions and stuff. How do you reflect someone who follows God? You guys ever hear voices like that telling you that you don't deserve where you're at? These lies mix in with our own guilt that we feel over those things. Telling us that we're not good enough. Telling us that we are hypocrites. And you know what? That voice is true to the extent that we did do those things. But this is why David cries out, save me by your righteousness. Because we have to be saved by his righteousness. That's the whole point. We're not righteous. But in Christ Jesus, God declares us righteous because of his righteousness. David says, listen to me closely. Rescue me quickly. Be a rock of refuge for me, a mountain fortress to save me. He says, you're my rock, my fortress. You lead and guide me for your namesake. David just reaffirming his trust in the Lord in a time of crisis. Sometimes we need to remember that that's who God is. The evil plot tells us that we're hypocrites and oftentimes that evil plot is working to move our trust off of God. You see, when we forget that God is the rock, when God is our fortress, when God is our protection, we start to look at other things. Do I have enough protection? Do I have the finances to get through this problem? Do I have my family around me for this problem? Do I have the, the favorite work right now? Do I have this or do I have everything else? We'll look to everything else but God. And that's what this evil plot wants to do. It's going to throw things our way to take our eyes off of God that we start trusting something else. David calls out to those who trust and are devoted to worthless idols. Or he calls out those who trust and are devoted to worthless idols. Because the truth is, is there's only one who can save. Everything else you want to put your trust in will fail you. And David knew this. He says, but there's one. There's one. And he says, listen to me closely, God. Be a rock of refuge for me. Be a mountain fortress. He's using these words that describe an immovable object that provides the safety and protection that's necessary. David seems to be unwavering in his trust of the Lord. And you go, I don't know how he does that. There's times where I'm great at trusting God. 
And then there's other times where I don't know what happened. I chose to trust something else other than God. There's a reason why David seems unwavering in his troubles. It's because he knows God outside the evil plots. Many times Christians and followers of Christ find themselves in a difficult spot, unable to trust the Lord, because prior to that difficult spot, they didn't spend time with the Lord. They didn't get to know the Lord. See, when you get to know the Lord and you're reading his word, you read in his word all of his exploits that he's done for his people, all the ways that he's come through for his people, all the ways that he describes himself with a name and then he shows you that's how I fit that name. Jehovah Jireh, my God, my provider. And David knew the Lord intimately. He spent time with him. When he, when he knows the Lord intimately, then he says, look, I want to be led and guided by God because I know God. He says in verse three, for you are my rock, my fortress. That denotes that he knows his God. It's a personal thing for him. My rock, my fortress. And he says, you lead and guide me for your name's sake. Why? I've fallen into issues before in which I call out for God and sometimes that earworm in my brain goes, why would he save you? Why would he help you out of this? Why would he do that? David knows God so well, he says, you lead and guide me for your name's sake. He says, my God will do it because that's who my God is. He knows the Lord as his strength and defense. David's life was built upon a desire to know and follow God. He didn't start following God after he became king or when he had that rebellion happening. David followed God back when he was a shepherd boy out in the fields at night with all the animals. That's how he was the one who stood up when Goliath came calling with the rest of the Philistine armies. And David said, wait a minute, who's this uncircumcised man who defies the God of Israel? David calls upon God in specific ways because he knows God specifically. You want to call upon God in a specific way? Know God specifically. As I said, in evil times, we're tempted to trust everything else. We're tempted to trust in the Second Amendment. We're tempted to trust in so many other things when our first and foremost trust is in God. When we know the Lord, we know, number one, idols are worthless. They're not worthy to be trusted. And when we know the Lord, we know the Lord is our rock as our fortress and our savior. When did we begin to know God? We began to know God when we called out to him for salvation. Like David. David says, I entrust my spirit to your hands, God. Isn't that what we did when we came to him? 
When we ask for forgiveness for our sins, we entrust our spirit to him. He became our redeemer. And that's what David says. He says, into your hand, I entrust my spirit. You have redeemed me. Lord, God of truth. We can entrust ourselves to God because we already have. But many times we come to God in salvation and we go, okay, well, I got that part taken care of. I guess the rest is up to me. And that's just not the way it is. You see, God wants to save us, all of us, all the time. He's our redeemer. The enemy, however, the enemy that plots against us, you know what his desire is? He wants you to feel abandoned. We give our lives to God for salvation. We, we experience that joy of salvation. The first problem comes and the first thing that happens in our heart, our heart drops. And we feel alone. And that earworm says, you are alone. God left you. Why else would this be happening? He'll bring up our sin. He'll bring up our past. It'll say that they've come and, 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 and they've come up against us and the evil is coming up against us because we deserve it. But again, David knows. Verse seven, and David calls out, he says, I will rejoice and be glad in your faithful love. When we know God specifically, we know God is a faithful, loving God. And that faithful love, it's that word. We've come across it many times in the Psalms. It's that word chesed. It's a strength of love requiring action. And you can't have any part of that separated. It all works together. It's the strength of his active love for us. And when we know God, we know his faithful love. We can speak against that voice in our mind that says, God's abandoning you. And we can say, no, my God is faithful. How do we know that God is faithful? David knew that God was faithful because in his faithful love, he's seen David's affliction. He knows the troubles of David's soul and he's rescued him anyway. He says, you, you've seen my affliction. You know the troubles of my soul and have not handed me over to the enemy. You set my feet in a spacious place. David is essentially saying, you know me, all of me, and you saved me anyway. How do you know that God is faithful to love you? Because he was faithful to save you when we came to him before we ever knew him. He knows all of our sin. The enemy tries to tell us that, oh, God didn't know about that sin that you were going to do. How dare you? No, when we came to Christ and we asked for forgiveness at the cross, here's what happened. We were forgiven for all of our sins that we committed in our past, the sins that we're committing at that time, and the sins that we'll commit in the future as well. Forgiven for all of it, all at one time. Proverbs 28, 13. The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. 
That's the promise from God. John repeats that in his, in his epistle. He says, if we are faithful to confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. See, our enemy will condemn us long after God has forgiven us. And even if the evil is a result of our own sin, maybe that trap that was set for us, we caused it through our own sin. You can still run to God as our refuge because his faithful love will still receive you. It'll still receive me. We don't have to fear going to God because we made a mess of things because his love is faithful. The promise in second Timothy Paul writes, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. So there's evil plots. We need to trust ourselves to God because life is painful. If you haven't learned that yet, I guarantee you, you will. Verse nine, David says, be gracious to me, Lord, because I am in distress. My eyes are worn out from frustration, my whole being as well. Indeed, my life is consumed with grief, my years with groaning, my strength has failed because of my iniquity, my bones waste away. I am ridiculed by all my adversaries and even by my neighbors. I'm dreaded by my acquaintances and those who see me in the street run from me. I'm forgotten gone from memory, like a dead person, like broken pottery. David again is calling out to the Lord from distress. As I said, remember the Psalm goes up and down like this, right? Uh, we can't take it as a strict, straightforward uh, doctrinal teaching. It, it works with emotions and our emotions come in waves, don't they? So David got over the, the wave of the, the evil that's plotted against him. And then he, he's like, man, God's my refuge. He's faithful love. I got it. And then he comes again and he says, Lord, be gracious to me. I'm in distress. And if that doesn't say that we can continue going to God, it's all in the same Psalm. He says, my eyes are worn out from frustration. You know what that means? I can't cry anymore. David has a painful time. His eyes are dried up. They're, they're just worn out from frustration. He says, it's so bad. I'm tired. My whole being is tired. And have you ever been in that, that pit, that, the dumps? And it might be a small amount of time, but it feels like it's been your whole life. What did David say? Indeed, my life is consumed with grief. My years with groaning. He says, my strength has failed because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. He's weeping and crying. He's worn out. He says his whole being, his whole life, it's consumed with grief. His years with groaning. David's declaring, my strength is failing. And he even admits from my own sin. He says, my bones waste away. You know what he's describing there? Getting older. He's talking about, he's in the older age. He's worn out from it. This world wears us out, right? That whole getting old thing, that whole your body wearing out, that's part of the sin that's a part of this world. 
there's coming a time when we will have our resurrected bodies that will not age, that will not corrupt, that will not decay. Amen? Look forward to that day. Until that time comes, though, we, 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 David resonates with us because we're like, yes, I know exactly what he's talking about. David is talking about a life that is filled with pain. Even if you never experience any of the heartache and loss in life, you're still going to go through pain. There is the, there, there, there's emotional pain. The emotional pain that we're going to go through, there's pain and sorrow that fill this life, right? Evil came in through sin. By sin came death. And it spread to everyone. You could do everything right and still lose those closest to you. For David, this is true. For us, this is true. None of us are shielded from it. Life is painful. Life comes with hurt. Life comes with heartache. If you love correctly, there's the ability to be rejected. There's the ability for someone to hurt you deeply. You're going to have suffering. You're going to have loss. There's grief, anguish, depression, oppression, trials, troubles, tribulations. And that's just the emotional side. Then there's the physical ailment, the pain in our bodies, the fleeting strength. Getting old is not easy. There's descriptions in, in Proverbs all about it. It talks about uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes about how the uh, windows start getting uh, foggy and you can't see. It's talking about the eyes. You can't see as well anymore. And, you know, getting old is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. There's physical ailment. You suffer through illness. You might have um, debilitations, things that keep you from being uh, as whole as as God wanted us to be. Our soul is 100% though. God has restored our soul. It's our bodies that are still failing and falling in this fallen world. I know many people that are plagued with chronic illness, injuries that last on. I, I injured my shoulder when I was 25 years old. I'm paying for it now. Back then I was I was able to recover from it because I had the, the wonderfulness of youthfulness. And I'm still kind of young, but it's starting to catch up. I know people that suffer from chronic pain. There, there's uh, autoimmune diseases that, that just cause chronic pain. It's painful. And then here's the truth, rejection. Rejection is a reality in this world. David was rejected. David says, I'm ridiculed by all my adversaries. Eh, probably doesn't hurt as much when our enemies reject us. Our enemies are like, hey, we don't like you. Eh, that's okay. But he says, even by my neighbors. I, I want my neighbors to like me. It hurts that they reject. Hey, you're the crazy people that live next door. You guys are always leaving on Sundays, going to church and stuff. You guys never come over to the crazy barbecues that we have and all this. And then he says, and I'm dreaded by my acquaintances. How many of us, if we, if we were to raise our hand, don't raise your hand. 
How many of us enjoy the feeling knowing you're going to call somebody and they're going to watch the phone ring and not answer it because they dread talking to you? We all know someone who does that. We may have done that, but could it be possible somebody's done that to us? That hurts to know that. Then he says, those who see me in the street run from me. That truly hurts. You're going up and and, and people are, are running from you. That hurts. That happens in this life. Life is painful. Why do we seek so hard to be accepted by everybody? You have a gracious God in heaven who desires to spend time with you, who won't run from you, who doesn't hide from you, who you can call out to and pray to at any time. He's not looking at the phone going, oh no, it's them again. He's happy to talk with you, wants to spend time with you. David describes himself. He says, I am forgotten, gone from memory. I'm like a dead person. I got convicted by this because there's people that I'll talk to and I'll even tell them, I'm like, I'm absent-minded. If I don't have you in front of me, I don't think to call you. It's not a nice thing. Nobody wants to be that forgotten person, but you know what? Your father in heaven will never forget you. You don't have to be present in front of him for him to remember you. He remembers you already. David describes it. He says, I'm gone from memory. I'm like a dead person to them. Like broken pottery. We, we might keep broken pieces of pottery together for a while because we all have that high hope to glue it back together someday. But it goes in a drawer and it's hidden away. We'd, we put it out of the minds of people. Like a broken vessel worthy to be discarded and forgotten. Sometimes those in emotional and physical illness are cast aside. It's too difficult to deal with them. It's too difficult to accommodate them. We're, we're human, right? That, that's our default position is, wow, that's really hard to meet these people where they're at. Why can't they just be easy and normal like everybody else? And people flee from the presence of. Maybe you find yourself on one side or the other of this, like I did as I was going through this and and studying it and reading it. Maybe on the one hand, you're dealing with where you have a friend. Maybe they were a close friend at one time. Maybe they were your best friend at one time. Maybe it's a neighbor that you were close to that you used to talk to all the time. Or you had a family member, a a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, a daughter, a, a son who you were once close with and has now written you off. They treat you as if you're dead. You're not alone. David too experienced this. And as I was reading that, I was like, do you want me to say that, Lord? Because here's the truth. The comfort is not the fact that other people are miserable like us. That's not the comforting part but that's the normalcy of this life in a broken world. 
The comfort is found in what David says in verse 14. In verse 14, he says, despite all that, I trust in you, God. You are my God. Because when others write you off, they ignore you, they slander you, we have a choice. We can put all our efforts to try and gain them back, or we can remember like David did, trust the Lord and say, you're my God, you're all I need. Because God is all we need. Do you know what the antidote to despair is? The antidote for despair is faith. John told us this in his epistle. Everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world. Our faith. There's evil plots in life. And we, we all agree life is painful. We've all experienced it at some level at some point. So trust his hand. Trust the hand of God. David says, the course of my life is in your power. Rescue me from the power of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me by your faithful love. Lord, do not let me be disgraced when I call on you. Let the wicked be disgraced. Let them be quiet in Sheol. Let lying lips that arrogantly speak against the righteous and proud contempt be silenced. How great is your goodness, which you've stored up for those who fear you. In the presence of everyone, you've acted for those who take refuge in you. You hide them in the protection of your presence. You conceal them in a shelter from human schemes, from quarrelsome tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his faithful love to me in a city under siege. In my alarm, I said, I'm cut off from your sight. But you heard the sound of my pleading when I cried for your help. So David turns from the stress and anxiety and the pressure for the evil plots and the pain of life to expressing his trust in God once again. David says, the course of my life is in your power. You know what he's saying there? I'm not in control, God. You're in control, God. You know what happens when you realize that God is in control? The things that happen in your life have sovereignly been allowed. Don't know why. Sometimes we can't correlate it with it, but we know this, that there's a promise in the scriptures that tells us in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good for those who are the called by Christ, who, who love God. And they're called according to his purpose. You know what that says? God's allowed it for his purpose and he's the one working it together. You don't have to try to work it together for good. God's already doing that. What he's asking us to do is realize that he's in control and to stop trying to gain control because that's when we feel out of control. And so he declares, the course of my life is in your power. You hold my life, God. And you know what? When he realizes that God holds the power, he says, so rescue me from the power of my enemies. 
because you can. I'm in your hands, God. What a powerful thing when we realize that we are in the hands of God. And we remember the promise from Jesus that he holds us in his hands and no one is powerful enough to snatch us out of his hand. David says, God, you're in control. And if you're in control, my enemies have no power other than what you allow. And then he turns and he says, how great is your goodness, God? How great is your goodness? And he says, he stored up his goodness for those who fear him. It's not saying those who are cowering in the corner going, oh my gosh, God is so mean to me. I'm, he's terrible and, and horrible to be. No, no, no. These are the ones who fear God, who understand that God is in control. And God has stored up his goodness for those who realize he is sovereign. He says, in the presence of sight of everyone, you've acted for those who've taken refuge in you. Not only on the battlefield, not only in the things that we go through in life, does God show himself to be faithful to his people who trust in him? But there's coming a time when the judgment of the Lord will be there. And we will all stand vindicated by God before them. I love how David puts it though. He says, you hide them in the protection of your presence. Our protection is not found in the fact that God gives us everything that we want. Many people say, well, where's your God? Didn't you ask him for this? And didn't you ask him? How come he doesn't give you all that stuff that you want? Because that's not where our protection is. Our protection isn't found in our ease and our comfort. Maybe we have to go through hard times, but our protection isn't found in the fact that we don't go through hard times. Our protection in life and its troubles is in the presence of the Lord. Despite our troubles, despite our circumstances, when we are on our knees before God, that's where we're protected because we're in his presence. And so David again blesses the Lord, again calling upon his faithful love, his said love. He describes a situation and I can relate to this totally. He says, I was a city under siege. You know what that means? There was no hope. I was going under. I was going to be conquered. It was going to overtake me. It's a constant surrounding attack. Anybody ever been there? Constant surrounding attack. And in the midst of this trouble, David says, in my alarm. So when it's going on and we're like, oh no, what's happening? David admits like I can. I felt cut off from you, God. I felt like you didn't care. I felt like you weren't watching what I was going through. You weren't seeing me. How many of us do that though? Man, it got tough. I feel like God's not here. In our trials and our troubles and our stress and anxiety, we go, man, why'd God cut me off? God's done with me. God's not paying attention. God doesn't care. We need to be like David who, who said, he's shown his one, he's wondrously shown his faithful love to me in a city under siege. In, in the midst of that battle, in the midst of that surrounding uh, 
chaos. He's shown his faithful love to me. David recognizes God heard his pleading. He says, you heard the sound of my pleading when I cried to you for help. And then he calls on the faithful ones. He says, love the Lord, all his faithful ones. The Lord protects the loyal, fully repays the arrogant. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. All you who put your hope in the Lord. Those who are faithful to love the Lord. Those who trust the Lord. David is saying he protects the loyal. Those who still trust in God, no matter what's going on, God protects them. He says, be strong and let your heart be courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. The idea is this. When we take courage in the Lord, the Lord adds and gives courage and strengthens our hearts to trust him. This psalm calls for us all to trust one whom sovereign despite what we go through in life. We're called to trust his goodness and his character. Again, this is what the apostle Peter shares with us in his epistle. <gasps> I don't have it. Did it get confused? Nope. All right. You have to look it up yourselves. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. 1 Peter 4, 19, it says, So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing good. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, can be said that he endured much stress. He had a lot of pressures. He dealt with anxiety, including most oftentimes narrowly escaping death. But his, he's quoted as saying, it doesn't matter really how great the pressure is. It only matters where the pressure lies. See that it never comes between you and the Lord then the greater the pressure, the more it presses you to his breast. I like that. The greater the pressure of life should be driving us closer to God. If we allow the pressure to come between us and God, it's putting us in the wrong place. Most significantly, this psalm was referenced on the cross. One of the seven statements that Jesus made from the cross is found in Luke 23, verse 46. And Jesus called out with a loud voice saying, Father, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. You see, in the midst of the world hating him, in the midst of the sins of the world being placed upon him, in the midst of being deserted by everybody who turned and looked at him and ran. In the midst of him crying out, 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He still says, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. The stress he endured to bear our sins, entrusting himself to the sovereign, personal God, beckons that so shall we. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And Lord, we do thank you for and David sharing his heart, Father God. Lord, how we can relate to him. How the human condition over all these years has not changed. Father, we know long ago that there was a time in which sin was introduced to this world and through sin came death and spread to every man. Death that brought not only physical death, but it brought the death of everything that you created to be beautiful and wonderful. The death that so encompasses this world and is choking the life out of it, Father God, in, in which we read in Romans that the world itself groans for the day in which things will be set right. And Father, that's that's what we see in Christ is that in the midst of all that, we can trust you because in the midst of all that, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our sin, you sent your son to be born as a baby to grow up and live a perfect life, to live the life that we should have. To take on the sins of the world as he would die on the cross, rejected by all. But in the midst of that rejection, his trust was in you as our example. Your word told him that though he would take that pain, though he would take that punishment, though he would endure that death, that you would not allow him to see decay, that you would not allow him to go down to Sheol, but that you would raise him up to life again. And he trusted you. And you call us to trust you in the same way because you have promised that all who place their faith and trust in Jesus because he trusted you, that they too would be given eternal life. That we would be given eternal life. We're going to sing one last song. We're going to open it up uh, as a time for anybody who's Maybe you're in that place. You, you know life is difficult. Life is painful. Maybe there's evil plots that are surrounding you right now. You feel surrounded. We're going we're gonna to invite you to just call out to your God as your refuge and your fortress. Call out and take this time to surrender yourself to him. Entrust your spirit into his hands. It's, it's that final surrender of saying, I cannot control. I'm not in control. But I'm trusting the one who is. So come and lay your life down. Trust it into his hands. In Jesus' name, amen.